bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight crooked path. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Having done an overview of the doctrine of eternal judgment, we shall in this broadcast be looking at one of the two kinds of eternal judgment that we looked at very briefly last week. And so we shall be discussing the great white throne judgment. My prayer is that the Almighty God will grant us the grace and help us to have understanding so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom and act in an appropriate manner. Let's look at our scripture text, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Amen. The great white throne judgment is the final judgment. After this judgment, there is not going to be any other judgment. In fact, God is going to create new heavens and a new earth. If we go to the next chapter, I'm just going to read verse 1, but I'll advise that you read the whole of chapter 21 in the book of Revelation. In chapter 21, verse 1 of Revelation, the Bible says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So after this great white throne judgment, there's never going to be any judgment again. All judgments will end here. That's why I've tagged it the final judgment. And after this judgment, the next thing that God is going to do is to wipe away completely these heavens and the earth that we see, the planets that we see, everything that we know, the universe like we know it. God is going to take it away and bring a new one. And there's going to be a completely different heavens and a completely different earth where people will dwell in. But that is after this judgment. Now, those to be judged at the great white throne judgment are all those who lived or died without Christ. They refused to be born again, or at some point in time, they were born again, but discarded it, and they died without Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21, we read that maybe last week or two weeks ago. I'll read it again. It bears repetition, and we need to look at it again. In John 3, from 16 to 21, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one speaking here. He says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the clincher. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, this belief is more than just a head knowledge. It's a belief in which you are convinced that indeed Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came to die for the sins of the world. And as a result of that belief, you are saved. Saved from the judgment that is to come. Saved from the destruction that is to come upon sinners. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send his son, that is Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
if you are going to avoid going to the great white throne judgment, is that your name is written in the book of life. If your name is not written in the book of life, then you have your deeds documented in volumes. Also included amongst those who will come before the great white throne judgment, sadly, are people who have been born again, but who lived contrary to Christ. People who lived contrary to the instructions to the word of God, even though they were born again, even though they attended church, even though they preached the gospel. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord Jesus Christ here speaking says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not about going to church and say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I love you. No. The question they are going to ask is, did he do the will of the Father? Did he do what God wanted him to do? It's not about whether you built a church, whether you pastored a church, whether you were a general overseer or a general superintendent. It's not going to be any of that. The question is going to be, that general overseer that he was, was that God's will for him? Because if you look at the next verse, verse 22, it says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That is, did we not preach? Did we not speak your word in your name by your authority? Did we not cast out demons in your name? We used your name to say, come out of this fellow in the name of Jesus. These are people in ministry. It goes on to say, and done many wonders in your name. We work miracles, signs and wonders. In your, so it's not about the person who is working signs and wonders. It's not about the person who is preaching and prophesying. It's not about the person who is casting out demons and having deliverance service every day. No, it's about who is doing the will of God. And this is a very, very sobering thought. That we may be doing what seems to be right, and yet it may not be the will of God. Because these people had cogent reason. The Bible says they will come and say to him, But Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We walked wonders in your name. Then in verse 23, he said, I will say to them, I never knew you. How can Jesus say such a thing? To somebody who was preaching, somebody who cast out demons, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Another translation says, you who did what was unauthorized. You will recall when we're discussing repentance from dead work, we mentioned that whatever God does not initiate, is not involved in implementation, does not authorize his dead works. So these people who were born again, who were engaged in ministry, were doing dead works. The Lord Jesus says they practiced lawlessness. Therefore, their names were removed from the book of life. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 46, we read 31 to 46. Last week, but I advise you to go and read the whole chapter because in that chapter, the Lord used a series of parables to speak about what will happen to Christians in the first few verses. I think is verse one to fourteen thereabout. It was is a parable of the ten virgins. There were ten virgins. They were Christians. They were born again. They were pure. The difference was five were wise, five were foolish. What did the five wise ones do that the foolish ones did not do? The five wise ones, the Bible says they took extra oil. That is significant of the fact that they had the Holy Spirit in them. They took those with them anywhere they went. But the other five had their lamp, but did not have extra oil. They did not go with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul went to Ephesus and he saw some 12 disciples and asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit since they believed, they said, we have not so much as heard 
about the Holy Spirit, let alone believe in Him. There are many people in many places called churches that are not churches there. I call them pseudo-churches. They don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. They don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. They don't even speak about the Holy Spirit coming upon everybody. They speak of the Holy Spirit on certain people. That's not the church of God. These are the kind of people who will be telling the Lord, but we preach in your name, but we prophesy. We cast out demons. We brought people into the church. He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. These were the five foolish virgins. So by the time the Lord came, only those who were with the Spirit of God could enter in. Those who were without the Spirit will not be able to go when the rapture takes place. Because it's the Spirit of God that's going to take those who belong to Christ out of the way. If you don't have the Spirit of God or you have nothing to do with Spirit, you are not being led by the Spirit of God. You are not walking according to the Spirit. As Romans 8.1 tells us that those who are in Christ and who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, they are not condemned. So if a man chooses to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit, he stands condemned because the spirit of God is not going to take him and he's going to remain and face the great white throne judgment because his name will not be written in the book of life. The five foolish virgins, and it's a warning to all of us who say we are Christians because they were Christians, they were virgins, they were chaste spiritually, but they were foolish because they did not walk as the spirit of God wanted them to walk. The second parable, I think, is from verse 15 to verse 30 of Matthew chapter 25. And that's where he spoke about the master who traveled and gave talents to his servants. He gave one five, he gave one two, gave one one. The one with five doubled his, the one with two doubled his, the one with one went to hide it. And the Lord told them to throw him into outer darkness, that he was a wicked man. He did not add anything to what was given to him. There are many people that God has given gifts to. Some of the gifts are money. Some of the gifts are spiritual. Some of the gifts are the things that God has given to us to use to serve him, to use to worship him, to use to magnify him, to use to glorify him. Many people have hidden it. They're not using it. They're not preaching to anybody. They're not winning any souls. Those who have money are using it for themselves. They're not using it to advance the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about giving money to the church, which is not a bad thing in itself. If it is being used to advance the gospel, I am talking about people who you see suffering and you are not helping them. There are some people who have decided that all the money they have is to be given to a pastor, not even to the work of God, thinking that giving money to a pastor will put them in right standing with God. No, it will not. When you give to those who have need, it may put you in right standing. You recall the rich young ruler who came to the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and he wanted to know how he would make it into heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ told him clearly, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. The man went away sad because the Bible says that he had many possessions. And quite frankly, like I say to people, his possessions had him. He didn't own those possessions. Those possessions owned him. In First Timothy chapter 6, talking about people with money, verse 17 to 19, the Bible says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to be arrogant, not to trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your trust in that money. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, it's God that made you to have that money. It's not your power. I've seen people discredit spiritual things, say it's not in the prayer. You have to work out. Of course, nobody's telling you just sit up and pray and pray and pray. No, no, no. You pray, you work hard, and God will make a way. It is God that makes a man to be rich. It's not your talent. It's nothing. Solomon said that he has seen people who should have money not having money. And there are seen people that you don't expect to have. They have it. He said time and chance happens to them, but we know that it is God that does it. In verse 18, he says, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Use that wealth for good works, for good deeds. Share, distribute, give to the needy, give to the poor. Use it to extend the kingdom of God on the earth. Become the hand of God that meets the needs of people on the earth. 
in verse 19. He says, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Such people says, use your wealth to have your name written and stayed in the book of life. You're not bribing God. The man who had only one talent and did not do anything with it, but threw it away and said, no, 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 this God does not even meet our needs and everything. He is a very harsh God. Look at him giving me only one. Look at him giving this person five and giving this person. The one they gave you, what have you done with it? He did nothing with it. All he had to do was multiply it and have one more. That's all. The others just multiplied. The one who had five added five. The one who had two added two. So the one who had one should have just added one more. That's all. And he did not do it and was cast out into utter darkness. And then finally, the one that we read last week from verse 31 to 46, where he said, I will come and separate my flock, the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left hand. His flock, he's not speaking about unbelievers there because there's no unbeliever that is in the flock of Christ. He's speaking of his flock. The goats are people who are stubborn, who are disobedient, who refuse to do the will of God. Those are the goats. The sheep are those who heed the word of God, who do what God wants them to do, who follow the precepts of God. So he'll separate them. And then the goats will go to hell. The goats are going to eternal punishment, but the sheep are coming to eternal life. So there are people who are going before the great white throne judgment, whose names ought to have been in the book of life, but they will not be there because they acted like the foolish virgins. They acted like the man with one talent who did nothing, who went to hide it. They acted like the goats, stubborn, disobedient, and so on and so forth. These people will miss the judgment seat of Christ and they will go to the great white throne judgment. In Romans chapter 11, reading from verse 17, Paul is writing here by the Spirit of God. He says, And if some of the branches were broken off, that is the Jews who were broken off from the vine, and you, the Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Verse 20, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. There's a possibility. The Gentiles were grafted in to the olive tree of God. If he broke off its natural branches to graft in some wild olive into it, it will be very easy to remove it. So he says, stop boasting. Be in trepidation. If God did not spare those who are natural branches, don't think he will spare you either. If you do what the natural branches did wrong that made him remove them. If you live in unbelief, he will remove you. If you refuse to honor Christ, he will remove you. In verse 20, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. The same God. There's the goodness of God and there's the severity of God. He says, on those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, you can't take the goodness of God for granted and live as you like. There's a gospel that has been preached now that says you are saved once and that's all. Let me tell you the truth. You can be removed. So don't pin your hopes on a salvation that does not have works. You are not saved by works. But after you are saved, you must do works. Anything that God wants you to do is the works. You are saved to do good works before God. Verse 22, it says, otherwise you also will be cut off. There's no ambiguity in the statement. There's no exaggerating about it that God is not saying that. That's what God is saying. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted back in. 
for God is able to graft them in again. So even if a man has backslidden, he can find his way back to Christ through belief, through faith. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? To be easy to graft the Jews back. Verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Israel walked in that blindness. Don't walk in that blindness. That's what I'm saying. Don't think that your salvation is so solid that you can misbehave. You'll be thrown away by God because you have refused to honor him. In Matthew chapter 24, let me read from verse 9. I hear so many things that people are saying and they are not scriptural. Matthew 24 verse 9. We're talking about the possibility of a person who is born again, who is going to church, going to the great white throne judgment, which he should not go naturally, and the conditions that will take him there. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9 to 13. This is Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Speaking about the end times. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Speaking of not just the world, but Christians inclusive. Many Christians will be offended. Where you see many, the opposite of many are few. So if many people are offended, only few will not be offended. Many will betray. Only few will not betray. Only few will be loyal. Many will hate. Only few will love. Stop following majority. Bible tells us that there are two roads. The straight and narrow. Straight as in it is constrained. There are some things that cannot be allowed on that road. Anger cannot come on that road. Jealousy, envy, the works of the flesh cannot come onto that road. And he says, few find it. But the road that leads to destruction is broad and many there be on it. They don't have to search for it. They are there on it already. So stop following majority. Majority may carry the vote in a democracy. But in the kingdom of God, God is what matters, not the majority. Verse 11 of Matthew 24. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So when you see people rushing to a place, ha, that man prophesied, that man sees, that man, be careful. You may be rushing to the place of false prophets. Be careful. And many will be deceived. Don't join the many that will be deceived. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. There is a lot of lawlessness around. Just tune on to the TV. Adverts are showing naked women now. Adverts are showing all kinds of things that we shouldn't be seeing. They're on billboards. Anywhere you turn, young girls are dressing like, I don't know, young men are behaving different, complete. It, the world is going mad. So iniquity is everywhere. And because we see it, we are getting so desensitized to it. And the love of many is growing cold. That means only a few have hot love for God. The love of men is going cold. Because we are seeing even in churches, many of the people who said they were born again, hot for God, are now becoming cold. They are dressing as they like. They do whatever they want to do. In verse 13 it says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end. Note that. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Not he who was born again. But he who got born again and went through all of these things and stayed with Christ till the end shall be saved. He that does not endure till the end will be shocked to find themselves at the great white throne judgment. That's why they will bring the book of life. Because many will be saying, but I am born again, but I gave my life to Christ. I don't even know why I was there. They say, please search for his name. Is his name there? He's not there. This is where you belong. Your name is not written there. The judgment will be eternal punishment. That's punishment forever. Eternal does not have a time frame. 
not even a million years, not even a billion years. Eternal is simply eternal, forever. There's no time frame for it. In Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The people who are going to this place are going to be separated from God. And you will find they are going to miss out on so many things. Only those who are with God will enjoy those benefits. We will do well to avoid this place. In Matthew 18, verse 8 to 9, Lord Jesus Christ wants to speak. He says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life, lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. So forget about how good you look. If your good looks will make you go to hell, you better start making yourself look ugly. If by looking good, everybody's around, he said, you must take drastic actions because this is not a place that you want to go to. In Luke chapter 16, we've mentioned this before, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man said to Abraham while he was in hell, I beg you therefore, father, that you would send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. He said, don't let them come here. Please send Lazarus. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Old Testament. They have the Bible. They have the scriptures. Let them hear them. Let them hear those who are preaching the scriptures. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And this is the truth. Just look at COVID-19 that has killed millions around the world. People still doubt that it exists. Pastors are even leading the charge that is a hoax. So you can see how many people will be deceived. Because even pastors don't believe there's a COVID-19 at all. Whatever the world wants to call it. That there's a plague, a pandemic, killing people. How do you expect them to believe that hell is real? And that if you're a Christian and you don't live right, you will go there. The rich man had more concern for his brothers at home than many of us have for our own brothers. Do we pray for them? Do we plead with God on their behalf? In Matthew 25 verse 41, the Bible tells us that hell was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. But in Isaiah chapter 5, Verse 14, we are told that hell has enlarged itself. It has increased itself, ready to take on man. It was never built for man. It was designed for Satan and his angels. But as men began to follow Satan's leading, they have to go to the place with him. The place where the sentence of eternal punishment will be served is hell. That's Gehenna. I think I told you the difference last week. There's Hades and there's Gehenna. Both are called hell. If you're in Hades, you're already going to Gehenna. Gehenna is that eternal fire that's burning. There is nobody there now. Even Satan is not there. No demon is there. They are all held in a place pending when God will pass this judgment. It is at this great white throne judgment that Satan will be thrown in. The Antichrist will be thrown in. Hell and death will be thrown in. And all those whose names are not found in the book of life will be thrown in. Hell is a place of no return. Once you are in, you are in. You cannot come out of it. And I say this with a lot of sadness in me. Because I know people, my father for example, is not going to hell. I'm not going to deceive myself. I know the life he lived. And I want to warn others that you will likewise go there if you don't change. In Matthew chapter 25 verse 30, the Bible calls it the place of outer darkness. There's darkness in that place. The darkness is darker than darkness that you and I know. In Daniel chapter 12 verse 2, the Bible tells us that it's a place of shame and everlasting contempt. People are going there naked with fire burning. There's no place like purgatory. Don't be deceived where you say, oh, we are going to go there and then spend some time to make things like... 
Everything is done here on the earth. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. After that is judgment, which is the second death. There's no purgatory. There's nothing like reincarnation where you have a second chance. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. I say this with so much grief in me because I know many people who are believing false things and are walking into the fire of hell. Don't believe anybody who tells you there's purgatory. There's nothing like that. Search the scriptures yourself. There's nothing like that. Search the scriptures. There's nothing like reincarnation. Nothing like that. You die, you await your judgment. It will come when God will resurrect the body, bring back the spirit and the soul into that body to receive its judgment. Eternal punishment is eternal separation from God. I, I think I mentioned that when we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. But I want to build on it now. In Psalm 16, verse 11, the Bible says, in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So everything that God is, is absent totally and completely in hell. So instead of love, you have severe hatred in hell. The hatred there, you won't believe it. So those of you who are hating people here on the earth, when you get there, you will see hatred personified. Hatred is a demon and it will show you what hatred is. It will show you that you're a small boy. Instead of joy, you will see sorrow and tears. There's a joy inexpressible. There's a sorrow in hell that you cannot define. You cannot express it. Instead of light, there's what the Bible calls outer darkness. Instead of the mercy of God, you have extreme wickedness. You can cry for mercy. Nobody will listen to you. Ask people who have spent some time in prison or police cell with some armed robbers in that cell. By the time they finish dealing with you, you'll be begging. They won't answer you. They will beat the living daylights out of your body. Satan is law in hell. God does not care about what is happening there anymore. Satan is in charge there. You haven't seen wickedness yet. You will see wickedness there. I pray you don't go there. Instead of pleasure, which is at the right hand of God, where people are going to be enjoying, you have extreme suffering. Those who say they don't want to suffer here now, they will see suffering there. They will be shocked. The Bible says, in comparison to the suffering that you will go through on earth, the glory that is awaiting is a heavy weight. The converse is true. In comparison to the enjoyment that you are going through here, the suffering you are going to see there, the weight is something else. Instead of glory, you have shame. Daniel said it's a place of shame and everlasting contempt. Don't go there. I'm pleading with you. I don't know what it's going to take, but you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Don't go there. Why are we looking at this? Our knowledge of this final judgment should make those who are ready in Christ to be grateful to God for their salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for us to be okay. He died whilst we were still sinners. Are you still a sinner now? Christ died for you. Come to him. I see a lot of statements that we make on thanksgiving. Come and give your thanks to God. And it's good. And sometimes our thanksgiving is just about what God has done for us in terms of he's giving you a car, he's giving you a wife, he's giving you family, he's giving you children. Fine. But there are people who died in our homes. So should we be angry with God on that? No. The Bible says give thanks for all things. Give thanks in all things. But particularly for the salvation of your soul. On a daily basis, you should be thanking God. Secondly, those of us who have escaped the punishment of eternal judgment in hell, we should not take God's love and his mercy for granted. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. You should know the God that you are serving and don't take him for granted. Don't try stunts. It's a fearful thing to fall into his hands. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, in reverence, knowing that if God is not there, you are finished. There's no need for boasting. What are you boasting for? 
Keep it to yourself, knowing that God will watch over you till the end. Those of us who are born again, those of us who have the certainty of eternal salvation in our hearts. The reason why I'm telling you this is so that you can make intercession for the lost. Begin with people that you know, members of your family, your parents, your grandparents if they're still alive, your uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers and sisters, your friends, your colleagues at work, your neighbors. Then pray for other people that you don't even know. Intercede for them. Let me tell you the truth. If others did not intercede for you, you would not be saved. People spent time praying for you. You also pray for others. Don't take it for granted. Don't think that it is because you are something hot. That's why you were saved. No, you are like any other person. God merely saved you. Pray for those who are lost, that God will bring them to his salvation. Finally, saying this because I'd like to warn people everywhere to repent and turn to God. Because hell is real. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, the A part says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Many people don't know the terror of God. They only know of the good side of God. They don't know that there's another side of God. Do you know that King Saul is going to be in hell? Because of one thing, God took away his mercy. What said that to David in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 or so? He said, if your son Solomon misbehaves, I will scourge him with the scourge of men. But I give you one promise. I will not take away my mercy as I took it from the man whom you took over from. That's why Saul had no place to go to. That's why David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the presence of God forever. Amen. When the mercy of God is with you, you will make it. And I'm praying that God will show you mercy. Still, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20 and 21, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come to God. Why do you want to be his enemy? Come and become friends with him. He says, For he made him who knew no sin, to be seen for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God wants us to come to him. There's nothing we can do to be right with God. Jesus Christ has done it already. Just come by faith, believing in Christ. That's all you need. Talk to God and say, Father, help me. I may not understand most of what this guy is saying, but I sure want to avoid help. How you're going to help me, I don't know. Help me. Finally, I read one last scripture, and then we'll close. Romans chapter 1 from verse 16 to the end. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Just believe. But remember that faith is a convincing one. You must be convinced that Christ is the savior of the world, that Christ is the son of the living God. No more than that. And if you are willing, God will give you the faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, it says we are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift from God. The grace, the faith, is a gift from God. None of us could be born again except God gave us that gift of faith. That's why no man should boast. We cannot boast about it. We are fortunate that God saved us. The same can be for you. As you are listening, God can save you. In verse 7, it says, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from start to finish, is a matter of faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God. You see, many of us, we know of the salvation of God, but not the wrath. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. You can see it in heaven. The thunder strikes, the lightning flashes. You can see even the heat of the sun. You can imagine we're feeling the heat of the sun here. What would happen when people are in hell? So for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Many of us who say we don't believe God, it is not true. We know that there is a God. We know. We just chose not to believe. 
verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You cannot be believing a Big Bang theory where one thing blew up in several directions and all of them came out all round as sitting in a place and making perfect movements. It's not possible. You know God did that. The Bible says that the heavens declare and the firmaments, they declare the works of God. The things that God has done. It's clearly seen. You know that there is a God who put the sun where it is, who put the moon where it is, who put Mars, Uranus, Neptune, and all the other planets within our own solar system. I'm sure you know by now that there are thousands of solar systems that scientists have not been able to reach. There are some planets that are millions of years, or millions of light years away, which is far greater than a million years, away from where we are. And God is the God of that universe. Do you think that those things just happen there? That you just happen? And that when you die, that's the end of life? The eternal power of God is clearly seen. It says, so that they are without it. Nobody will have an excuse. You will not have an excuse. That's the truth. I think it's in law. They say ignorance of law is not an excuse. You will not be excused. Nobody has an excuse. In verse 21 it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Instead of worshipping God, people began to worship all kinds of crazy things. In some places, they worship cows. Some people worship snakes. Some people worship birds. Some people even carve images in wood. God said, can you imagine the same timber that the man cut with his hand? When it is dry, he takes some to warm himself in fire, and then takes the other to a sculptor, and tells him to sculpt an image. They sculpt the image, and he puts it in front of him, and bows to it. What kind of thing is that? Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. In verse 24 it says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the loss of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Since they refused to acknowledge God as God, God said, okay, leave them alone. We've seen children like that. Since they wouldn't listen to counsel, the parents say, you know what? Go. Whatever you meet there, you meet there. That's why sometimes it's difficult for them to go back home. Because they beg them, they warn them, don't marry that boy, don't marry that girl. They didn't listen. And then they have problems. And there's nobody that can help them. In verse 25, it says, These people exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In verse 26, it says, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their loss for one another, homosexuality, lesbianism, and all the like. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. HIV, AIDS, and all the likes. That's where it is coming from. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. Let me tell you, God does not hate the man who is gay. He does not hate the woman who is a lesbian. But the woman, the man, they have rejected God. That is the point. And God keeps begging them, come back, come back. So what have they done now? Some of them have founded their own churches. That God accepts them the way they are. He does not. The Bible cannot be lying. God does not a liar. God wants you to come to him. But stop forcing yourself on him in your state. Verse 28 again. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do sin, but also approve of those who practice them. We have parents who say they are supporting their children who are gay. That parent should bring that child. Well, maybe the parent doesn't know any better. I pray that that parent will know better and bring that child and say, sit down. Let us show you what the Bible says. This is not condemnation. You condemned yourself already. So nobody's preaching condemnation to you. We are trying to get you out of it. So I'm pleading. The great white throne judgment is not a judgment that any human being should go to. It was a judgment that God had reserved for Satan and his angels who had rebelled with him. And of course, the Antichrist and his priests and all those who chose to be with the Antichrist. But not for any man. And yet there are many who are walking down there. And men who are here to receive Jesus Christ. There are those who have received Jesus Christ, but the way they are behaving, they are warming up and walking into hell. And I'm pleading, don't go there. Not for any reason. That journey that you are making now, stop and return. Turn to God and be saved. Let me pray and then we close. And by the grace of God, the next time we shall be discussing the judgment seat of Christ. Almighty and everlasting God, I want to pray for as many who have listened to what has been said here, who do not yet know you. Father, please save them. Save them to the uttermost. Help them. Bring them to salvation. There are those who say they are saved, but they have been living as they like. They've not lived according to your will and your counsel for them. Father, please help them. There are many who are going to all kinds of churches and all kinds of meetings where they are being told all kinds of things. And they believe that life is all about owning property here on the earth. Father, open their eyes. Help them to see the truth and the reality of eternal salvation and eternal judgment. That as many as refuse to follow you, they will find themselves on the wrong side of you. Father, please save them. Don't let them be lost forever. I don't know everything, Father, I pray that as many as are listening to me now, we will see ourselves in eternity, in your presence, rejoicing with you, knowing that they escaped. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name, I pray.